Hello, all you chivalrous tennis instructors and poisonous superheroines, and welcome to episode 11 of A Bookish Affair, where we two Shannons will be your fellow travelers through the world of happily ever after. I'm Shandy, she's Shannon, and we love romance. We are the co-founders of the Lake Oswego Public Library's first genre book club, A Bookish Affair. We read and discuss diverse and inclusive love stories every second Sunday of the month at the library when it's open and on WebEx for the foreseeable future. If you are interested in joining a virtual discussion group on WebEx or have feedback or suggestions um, about the club or the podcast, or just want to say hi, uh, please email us at edell at lakeoswego.city or sdickinson at lakeoswego.city for more information about the book club uh, that is available on lopl.org. I seem to be having trouble with my web addresses. <laughs> uh, just go to books and more from the main menu and scroll down to discussion groups. You can find all of these links in the show's notes too. I actually think you're doing great. Uh, you, unlike myself, did not mispronounce chivalrous uh, <laughs> three times before <laughs> I got it right. So. Third time to form. <laughs> I think you're doing great. All right, and once again, before we start, we'd like to begin by acknowledging the ancestral, traditional, and unceded territory of the Kalapuya, Cowlitz, and Clackamas peoples on which we live, work, and record this podcast. All right, so we recorded a segment recapping our August 9th book club discussion for last week's episode. It was a very good segment, if I do say so myself, um, but then we listened back to it and the audio was terrible. It was so glitchy and sad. So we just decided to scrap it, regroup, and recap, re-recap re this week. <laughs> so I was already on the road by then and I joined from Abby's apartment in San Francisco and we had our biggest turnout yet. Uh, it was a, yeah, it was a great turnout for book club. Very exciting and a really interesting discussion. So Shannon, would you remind our listeners or inform them if they haven't been listening, what, um, what bringing down the Duke is all about? Absolutely. And yes, it was a great turnout and it was a great uh, discussion. So I'm excited that we are re recapping yes. uh, bringing down the Duke. So the book selection for August was bringing down the Duke by uh, Evie Dunmore. It is set in England, um, 1879. Annabella Archer is the brilliant but destitute daughter of a country vicar. Uh, and she has earned herself a place among the first cohort of female students at the renowned University of Oxford. In return for her scholarship, she must support the rising women's suffrage movement. Her charge is to recruit men of influence to champion their cause. Her target is none other than Sebastian Devereux, the cold and calculating Duke of Montgomery, who steers Britain's politics at the Queen's command. Her challenge then is not to give in to the powerful attraction. She cannot deny for this man who opposes everything she stands for. Oh, oh those, uh, those attractive men who oppose everything we stand for. You just can't get away from them. It's so, uh, oh, wow. 
Um, so tropey. <laughs> super tropey. So I, I really enjoyed reading this book. Um, I also, I also did struggle with some of the characters, personalities and choices in a lot of ways. Um, but through discussion with the group, almost like a, you know, mini romance related therapy session, um, mm-hmm. I did think a lot about how in real life you, you can't change another person. You can really only change the way you react to or interact with them. So, you know, there was so much that I wanted from these characters. I wanted Annabelle to be more of a radical. I wanted the Duke to be less of an alpha. Uh, I wanted for him to be able to see how much he terrifies his younger brother, Peregrine. Um, you know, for Annabelle to have some empathy for Peregrine rather than saving it all for Sebastian. Um, you know, for someone perhaps Annabelle, but then again, the woman really shouldn't have to do all of this work, but someone to broker a peace built on mutual understanding between the Duke and his kid brother who have this very difficult relationship. And, you know, so I kind of ranted about this for a while. And then some book, some folks at book club made some really good points. You know, Annabelle is struggling just to put food on the table. And it's pretty hard to be a radical when you don't even know where your next meal is coming from. Um, they also had some interesting things to say about the alphaness of the Duke, and we are actually going to get to that in a bit. Um, but, you know, what I came to at the end was these people are kind of their own their own people, you know, even if they are fictional. So I guess I should just let them live their own fictional lives. But in truth, I'm kind of terrible at that, both in real life and in fiction. It's I know it's a flaw. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, a, it's a real flaw. It's a flaw amongst you know, invested readers. And yes. that's what they read. <laughs> uh, but I, I totally agree with you. Like overall, I enjoyed the story. I really loved the suffragette aspect. I loved kind of the, the historical aspect. However, I felt at times it was a bit too modern for the time period, mostly in terms of the characters and how they dressed and how they expressed themselves. <laughs> Yeah, like the part where the heroine goes completely commando under a ball gown in the late 1870s, like that. <laughs> so, okay, so the, the context of this is that Annabelle doesn't have a lot of extra cash. You know, she's an impoverished vicar's daughter who's been, you know, basically a maid of all work to her relatives and has finally escaped to um, to Oxford and the intellectual life that she wants. But it's it's still really hard because she has to figure out a way to balance everything that's going on in her life. So let's just say she doesn't have a lot of extra cash. So her very kind and wealthy friend buys her dress as a gift for this ball that's being hosted by the Duke that Annabelle has snagged an invitation to. Um, But when the dress arrives, Annabelle realizes that she doesn't have the right corset for the gown, which, you know, sure. I can imagine that if you were a young woman who didn't have a ton of money and you only had one corset, and it wasn't the right one for the gown. Like I could have gotten on board with corset free, but no, she took it to the next level. She also decides not to wear drawers <laughs> because she's concerned about the lot li- them showing under the line of the gown. Like is is that a thing? I I I, I really want to know if that's a thing. And then and what about petticoats and crinolines and all of those other things that went under your dress? And and here's what bothered me the most: it didn't even really prove to be convenient for any kind of romantic shenanigans which is absolutely where I thought it was going. And in my, in my book would have justified the behavior. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. All of what you said, that scene. Oh my God. <laughs> I remember putting the book down after reading that. It just doesn't fit. 
And like in 1879, are panty lines a thing? Like, no, it's not. It was so out of place for the character, for the time period. Like, what was that? The dress was like 50 years, like too early. Like, no, like, as we said, it just served no purpose. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, so. it was presumably because there were, there were no, there were no romantic shenanigans that followed at least none that involved her needing to be commando on her under her dress. Um, you know, I assume it was there to sort of show that she's, you know, a, a modern independent minded woman and kind of a free spirit or, or, or any of these things. But, um, but yeah, that, that, that detail just did, didn't, didn't work for me, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff in the book that does work. So. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like it, I really thought that it was setting up for, you know, dark corner shenanigans. Yes! And it didn't. <laughs> I also didn't feel like it provided any kind of character development. It, it She's not that free spirit. Like, you know, so I just didn't see it as, like, I just didn't see it as being necessary to the story that scene and it just again it just felt too modern um for the time period that we were actually talking about and for this character that we're actually talking about yeah it takes you out of the narrative a little bit because you just have to stop and kind of you know tilt your head and and say huh (laughs) but you know overall like ultimately i thought the book was well researched you know even though some some details didn't fit including the aforementioned commando scene. But <laughs> we didn't stop there. Like other things came up in the discussion and and things like things that we talked about included like why were Queen Victoria and the head of the women's school at the University of Oxford against women gaining the right to vote? And I thought that was a really interesting discussion. Um, yeah. Why was Annabelle going to school if her career choices are actually very limited. You know, we talked about the differences between U.S. suffragettes and British suffragettes, um, such as the politics of respectability. This led to a discussion about the U.S. suffrage movement, which between white and black suffragettes and and how divided it actually was. And then my personal favorite, and this is super trivial, (laughs) perfect for a trivia game, actually, Suffragitsu. <laughs> that was a thing. That is a thing. Yes. Oh my gosh, because the suffragettes had to be able to defend themselves. Fight against they, the police. Yeah, they were out there protesting and you know, all kinds of 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 dudes were laying hands on them and they needed to to be able to uh to defend themselves in some way. So we actually heard about suffragitsu suffragitsu from uh, our friend Joanne, who has been joining book club from Eugene, Oregon, and she's a history teacher. And so she gave us a ton of really interesting tidbits and context. And she sent us a link to a speech by Emmeline Pankhurst, a famous British suffragette. And that, that she explained really highlighted the more militant approach that was taken by the British, the British suffrage movement, which was something that, um, that American suffragettes had a harder time getting on board with. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, she also spoke about Queen Victoria's you know, just complete horror at, at, at the suffrage movement. Her feeling that, you know, that for women to be asking for this kind of 
power was unnatural, that they were unnatural creatures for wanting this. So it really made me wonder how history would have been different if Victoria had just, you know, gone wild and thrown her support behind the movement. You know, would it have moved forward faster or would such a bold move have been Victoria's own downfall? I I don't know. I would like to read an alternate history romance about that, I think. Um, you know, we we also addressed, as Shannon just mentioned, the the kinds of opportunities that are available even to a very educated woman in this time and place. So, you know, Annabelle will do just about anything to get to Oxford and stay at Oxford. But once she has her degree, you know, she could still end up as an unhappy governess or the companion to a grouchy old lady. You know, anything, anything else she could do would be preferable to her previous life as a, you know, as a drudge um, for, for her family. Um, and education is clearly important to her for its own sake, but it was just something kind of interesting to think about. Like, wow, you're, you're doing a very, very cool thing. You are going, you're going all the way to Oxford, girlfriend. And, you know, but then once she has that degree, things are still, you know, that, it's uh, it's hard to see what's on the horizon for her, I guess. And, you know, ultimately what's on the horizon for her is is presumably marrying a duke and, uh, you know, and then continuing to be, uh, you know, a, a very important figure in the women's suffrage movement. So it all works out because it's a romance, but, <laughs> but you know, something to think about those times. So I wanna circle back to something that you said earlier about wanting the characters to be a bit different, including Sebastian, our hero. And he is an alpha hero. And you said that you wanted him to be less alpha. And I want to touch on that. Like why? And what in his behavior was more alpha than what you would have liked? I asked because I feel like our discussion on the, on the Duke's alpha nature actually leads right into today's topic. We've talked about the cinnamon roll hero, the hero whose primary goal and objective is to take care of and support the emotional journey of their partner. This week, let's talk about the alpha hero. Oh, yes, let's please talk about the alpha hero because I'm actually learning some things. <laughs> you and me both. So, Shandy, what is the alpha hero? What does this even mean? <laughs> so... It turns out that not all alphas are the kind of alpha I hate. Um, it turns out that the ones I hate are known as alpha holes. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned this on romancemfa.com, which is a really fun site uh, by Bonnie Loshbaugh, who also writes historical sports romance under the name Irene Davis. I liked her site so much that I actually read one of her historical sports romances last week. Um, I don't think that she coined the term but this is where I found it. So I will link to her very interesting blog post about alphas versus alpha holes. I'll link to that in the show notes. And that that blog post is also full of links to other, um, you know, to other articles and posts. So it's it's worth it's worth reading that and then kind of clicking around to see what she's what she's making reference to. Mm -hmm. So I was I, I was telling Joe and Claire and Rita about this. Uh, and and we, were, we were like, OK, is it? can I say alpha hole on the podcast? And we decided that we could, um, but we also had fun coming up with some alternate terms, uh, including awful alphas, which is kind of a tongue twister. But my favorite is uh, is Ralphas, not like the name Ralph, but the verb to Ralph, because they make you 
feel like Ralphing. That one was Claire's contribution. And I just really feel like I'm raising her right. That's her girl. <laughs> That's her girl. <laughs> so, so anyway, according to Bonnie Lashbaugh slash Irene Davis, um, an alpha is, I'm quoting here, in charge of their world situation, a character characterized by extreme competence. And that doesn't sound so bad when you put it that way. Okay, so the alpha hole, on the other hand, is, here I'm quoting again, an alpha hero who has crossed the line into toxic masculinity. Ha, huh, so I'm seeing, I'm seeing what I've been thinking this whole time was an alpha is actually an alpha hole. Um, so she defines, we will address betas in another episode entirely because that is that is a, a you know a distinction that I am still trying to figure out how to um, how to apply. But uh, just for the purposes of this conversation, let's define let's use her definition of a beta, which is again I quote a love interest secure in their own personality without the need to dominate their partner. See also cinnamon roll, and she defines a cinnamon roll as a hero who is straight up sweet and possibly too good for this world. <laughs> oh, like Rafe. So if I'm reading this correctly, all cinnamon rolls are betas, but not all betas are cinnamon rolls, I think. Mm -hmm. So like I said, we'll deal with betas in a future episode, but I wanted to get those definitions out there because I did find them pretty useful. So Shannon has done a deep dive into alpha research for this episode. It's almost like she's a librarian or something and she really likes doing research. <laughs> um. You know, multiple generations of educators, including librarians in my family, haunt my every move. So, <laughs> to be totally honest, I feel so new to this genre, and 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 actually these terms that I almost feel ill-equipped to be representing romance here at all. Yeah. But here I am. Here we are, and I'm excited. And as Shandy said, I did totally prepare for this, and by that I mean. I read a lot of blogs and I listened to Sarah McLean and Jen Prokop's podcast, Faded Mates, episode 2.2 about the alpha hero. So Sarah and Jen define the main traits of the alpha as strong, usually wealthy and powerful. This is a person who takes care of their partner. Um, I have very hetero language. Uh, but this doesn't necessarily need to be a cis hetero man. Um, so he takes care of his woman, is great in the bedroom, and manages her pleasure like a champ. Uh, so alpha examples include like Mr. Darcy, Christian Grey, Han Solo, or pretty much any other Harrison Ford character ever. <laughs> These are characters who are emotionally out of touch, um, they're afraid of their own feelings. They are the best at what they do. And part of that is taking care of others, particularly the people that they're like in charge of. Uh, their, their care comes primarily in the shape of financial security and not emotional. So whereas the cinnamon roll hero or character, uh, their primary focus is to take care of their partner to help their partner come into their own selves and fullness. It's all about emotion. Um, alphas are not necessarily like that. So like Sebastian supports his brother, for example, it's more of a business transaction than brotherly love. 
However, I bet if we asked Sebastian, he would say that his managing his brother is exactly what brotherly love is. So the alpha is a character who has an emotional journey and will be broke down, if you will, like break open his cold, dead heart. <laughs> and that, and this brought up another really interesting point that Sarah and Jen on their podcast made, and that is the alphas represent the patriarchy. And I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. The alpha character, and again, it doesn't have to be a cis hetero man, is rooted in this primal desire and fantasy. And part of that fantasy is of breaking down the patriarchy and almost taming it. Um, so the heroine or, uh, breaks down, pulls apart, deconstructs the alpha and what he believes to be true in this world. He's then transformed by someone uh, who, is the, who is his opposite. And it confirms that these cool power-driven characters are worthy of love. Aww. Actually, this is very funny. My my in-laws dog just kind of made this kind of like mm, mm, mm. So, yeah, I felt like she was saying all along with me. Anyway. <laughs> Shannon, please continue. <laughs> well, you know, during the book club, I thought it um Evie really made an excellent observation and a really good point in that an alpha isn't a bully. They aren't about tearing down another person. So what? So you know the alpha is strong and powerful and often wealthy. They know what they want. They can be domineering or possessive, but they have a heart of gold. And ultimately, they want their their person to be self actualized. And this is very different from who or what a bully is and represents. So alphas actually want their person to be whole. And I think that the confusion for both you and me and kind of like, do we like alphas or not? Is that the alpha narrative that suggests that women are weak, that they hate women, or that women exist to be possessed is kind of that bad alpha or the alpha hole. And that is both misreading and mis misleading of the alpha hero. And ultimately, you know, we we end up just writing the whole alpha hero off completely. Yeah, that's, that is absolutely why I've rejected alphas my entire romance reading life. So I really appreciate, I, I really appreciated the point Evie made in book club about bullies and also all of your very thoughtful analysis. Cause this is really making me think. Um, also side note, Evie is here with me at the cabin. She's, she's like, three feet away from me and yes we did all quarantine very hard before we formed this bubble um so we were being very safe and uh shannon and i tried to get her to be an, a guest on this episode but so far she is resisting our may i say considerable charm even though i know she has a lot to say on this topic <laughs> hi, oh you heard hi, her <laughs> she says hi all right she says that's all she's gonna say but we'll see so okay alphas this is interesting because, you know, as I said, Sebastian in Bringing Down the Duke is a frustrating person in several ways. But now that I'm now that I know a little bit more about what the alpha is, what what that that sort of archetype is and is not supposed to encompass, 
it's possible that it's not his alphaness that was really bothering me. You know, he does have this kind of, he has, he's a sort of physically imposing person and he has a sort of take charge manner, um, you know, in the manner that I suppose you would if you were a Duke and people just always did what you said. Um, you know, he's always sort of looming over Annabelle and getting in her face a little bit or doing that thing where you sort of, uh, you know, box someone in against a wall or door with your arms. Um, and those those moments bothered me a little bit. They That can be interesting with the right person. You know, it has to be a person that you you know, that you know and and feel safe with, I guess. Um, you know, and then it, you know, if if Annabelle feels safe with Sebastian, he can he can loom until the, the cows come home. That's that's fine. <laughs> you know, so there there's that. Um and also the the treatment of his brother, which I think is the thing that bothered me most about the book, that that difficulty in their relationship. I think that's also tied up in his his hyper competence. So uh, you know, he's the head of the family. Um, their parents have died and he is Peregrine's guardian. So he feels that his primary responsibility before anything else is to raise his brother to be able to take on the role of Duke himself someday because Sebastian doesn't have sons. So Peregrine is set to inherit, um, you know, but what he doesn't realize and this, you know, this may be a personality thing. This may be an alpha thing. It may be just a, a you know, combination um, you know, Peregrine is a real human with thoughts and feelings, and he just wants his big brother to love him and understand him. So, uh, you know, that, but, but like you say, alphas have a hard time with feelings. So obviously that's something that Sebastian is struggling with. Well, these are all really good points. I also wonder if it's just a difference of, of love languages. Yes, totally. <laughs> Yeah, my my love language is making you join the Royal Navy for your own good. <laughs> What's your love language? An act of service. <laughs> so true. We should probably do an episode on the different love languages of of our favorite romance heroes and heroines. That'd be really fun, actually. I think that might be interesting. Yeah. And then find out which acts of love actually correspond to the different. Uh, hero types, the alpha, beta, and the cinnamon roll. This is such a fun idea. And then I would actually have to read the Love Languages book, which I've been meaning to do for years. There we go. Um, I'm curious, Shandy, do you have any examples of alpha heroes that you've you've loved? And and I do want to say, you know, it's like that that physical, that physically imposing sort of um uh stuff that you were talking about sort of that uh, boxing someone in against the wall mm -hmm. yeah you're absolutely right it can be enticing but you have to trust that person and i think what we're learning with alphas is that they actually are trustworthy and that they care very much about your safety and security yeah so, so yeah i mean i think i've just been i've i've been giving alphas a bad rap for my entire romance reading career and i'm uh, I am trying to move forward and <laughs> and understand them and, and love them for who they are. Um, okay, so speaking of, I, I, I do actually have some alpha heroes that I've loved. You really had me at, you know, every character Harrison Ford has ever played. So <laughs> once you said that, I was like, oh, I guess I like alpha. <laughs> and it would actually be incredibly interesting for this nerd, at least, to break this down for our favorite Star Wars characters. Leia is definitely an alpha too. And I don't know, is Luke maybe a beta who grows into an alpha? Because he's pretty alpha in the later movies, but I wouldn't call him that necessarily in the originals. 
don't even get me started on Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> Talk about toxic everything. Okay. Anyway, we're putting that in the future episode file. I will let our friend Izzy know that she's going to be a guest because she knows more about Star Wars than anyone I've ever met. Uh, and there we go. And Shanjin. Okay. So given the less distressing out definition of alphas that I, you know, I'm only just now beginning to understand because you did all that hard work with the research for me. Um, yeah, I think I do have a few favorite alpha heroes. Um, and, and because, you know, I have long and I'm now realizing unfairly associated this type with toxic masculinity, I tend to forget that heroines can be alphas too. Um, and there are a lot of awesome alpha heroines. The one that came first to my mind is uh, Serafina Arden, who is the heroine of The Rakus by Scarlet Peckham, which, you know, I think I've said before, we could devote an entire episode to, and I really hope is one of our, our book clubs sometime fairly soon. She is the radical feminist romance heroine of my dreams. And if you go to Scarlet Peckham's website, which is a pretty delightful website, by the way, I recommend it. Um, it actually says at the top in enormous letters, love stories for brooding, tortured, unlikable alpha heroines. Um, she also she also sells stickers that say alpha heroine and unlikable heroine. <laughs> so, so Scarlett Peckham is great. Um, and she's she's really killing it with her alpha heroines. Um, let's see. Kimba from Queen Moo, which I also really loved. Definitely an alpha heroine. She is so competent and career driven and she knows exactly she knows exactly what she wants. And really, you know, Ezra does have to sort of help her you know she 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 has to make choices about you know she knows what she's doing if she's if she's running somebody's campaign and making them president she has to figure out what she's doing when she finds her true love so um let's see another alpha heroine i love is the as the frighteningly competent susan lazarus from gilded gilded cage by kj charles um she grew up as a street urchin then she became a con artist in the spiritualist movement. Now she's an inquiry agent or private detective and she solves all kinds of mysteries. So like, you know, the only thing that can unbalance her, of course, is love. Um, <laughs> she is an awesome heroine. Um, I also, speaking of KJ Charles and the other book in the Lily White Boys series, um, which is called Any Old Diamonds, um, there are two, that's a, that's an MM historical. So um, there are two heroes, but Jerry Crozier is the alpha hero of that, of that book. You know, once again, frighteningly competent, but this time on the other side of the law, because he is a, uh, you know, he's a jewel thief and a criminal and he is in control in absolutely every aspect of his life. Yes, that aspect too. I know what you're thinking. And until true love comes around. So, okay. So it, it turns out maybe I do have some alphas that I really like. How about you? Do you have any favorites? Um, I can't say that I've uh, actually thought about this aspect of alpha. <laughs> so unfortunately, I don't have a good answer. But now that I know what an alpha hero is, I can begin to spot one when I read one. And But I have to be honest, like Serafina from the Rakus and the Man of the Hour, Sebastian, I totally lost patience with him. Like, come on, don't be dense. Let yourself feel those feelings. Just get over yourself. Uh, I wouldn't describe myself as an alpha in, by any stretch of the imagination. And I can absolutely appreciate how disorienting and uncomfortable feeling feelings can be. 
And yet I lost patience every single time I read these, I read those characters and I read these characters. Like, so I really need to start integrating what I'm learning about these characters and their emotional journey that we speak so frequently about here and know that this is part of their awakening and that it too is beautiful. Sigh. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get you with the impatience. That's absolutely how I felt every time Sebastian and Peregrine talked and bringing down the juke. Just like, just feel the feelings. It's going to be uncomfortable. Embrace it. You're going to be fine. You're going to get you're going to get through it. And on the other side, everything will be fine. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, OK. Uh, all right. So here's another question. This came out of a lengthy lakeside conversation that Evie and I had yesterday. Um, can a relationship work between two alphas in romance or in real life? I am interested in the answer to this question, you know, in any, any sphere, you know, I am, I am trying and failing to come up with an example in romance. I know they must exist. So listeners, if you can think of one, please let us know. Um, you know, back to Star Wars, Leia Organa and Han Solo kind of work as an alpha couple, except spoiler alert and force awakens has been out for several years now so i'm just going to go for it like you get to the force awakens and you realize that this couple is not together anymore so so did they work as an alpha couple you know um you know from real life i brought up the clintons and evie made the very good point that you can't exactly call their marriage a great romance (laughs) um (laughs) but then she brought up ruth bader ginsburg and her husband you know two incredibly competent people to be sure but ones who are willing to make sacrifices both to make their marriage work and their family work and also to further each other's education and careers. So they seem like the perfect alpha couple um, because they both do have this, you know, this extreme competence, but they also have this, this give and take um, and, and, and this sort of giving nature um, between the two of them. But they also seem pretty darn rare. Uh, I would love to read a romance novel about them. So maybe Evie could write that when she's tired of being a lawyer. Um, an awful lot of romance authors are lawyers and former lawyers. I'm just saying. Anyway, <laughs> and she has left the room, so she can't give me uh, she can't give me the side eye right now. So <laughs> I know she would if she were here. <laughs> um, I don't know. Can you think of any alpha couples? I mean, maybe, but they're. <laughs> personal friends of mine, so I won't say anymore. Public figures, um, not off the top of my head, but you've named some great, great examples. I mean, my first thought was rather flippantly that alphas can really bring the heat, you know? These are like fiery couples who could potentially rely on that power struggle as foreplay. Um, More than that, though, I'm starting to think that alpha and alpha relationships can work, they just require an independent and self-actualized partners. Um, They would have to work, they will definitely have to work things out. There will be growth in and out of that relationship, just like all relationships, but in a healthy alpha on alpha relationship, like they would likely care very deeply for and are fiercely protective of the other. So for it to work and for each person to feel true in themselves and whole in the world, there's got to be one area that they would need to make room for without giving up their power. And maybe that's just 
feeling secure in that unconditional love and support. That is, that is so very wise and astute and exactly how I imagine the Ginsburg marriage. Um, you know, see this, like, this is where you see how our strengths complement one another. Shannon brings the research and the thoughtful analysis, and I bring the avalanche of novella recommendations. Ours is a beautiful partnership. It is so beautiful. A beautiful partnership between two cinnamon rolls, I would venture to say. <laughs> well, I definitely want to eat one right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh. And I really want a cinnamon roll. Yeah. That, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here we are coming along toward the end of the podcast. And let us talk to each other and to our listeners about what we are reading now and next. I personally am on kind of a roll um, I have finished a romance every single day of my vacation thus far. Um, yes! <laughs> uh, some of them are quite short. And in fact, a couple of them are basically short stories. So this is not, neither quite as impressive nor as maniacal as it may sound. Um, but once I got going, I kind of made it into a challenge for myself. So let me give you a, a couple of highlights so far. Um, I really loved Prem Numbers by Suleika Snyder. Um, that is a romance story collection, and I have not read very many of those, but this was stellar. So she has two others, um, Ishk Factor and Dill or No Dill. Um, and my, f I just, you know, you guys all know that I love Selika Snyder. So the, this was really no surprise, but the stories are so expertly crafted. It's like she knows exactly how much, you know, you can do a romance pretty easily in a novella, but a short story is something else entirely, and you have to know. Like, you know, where do you, where do you sort of jump into their story and where do you end it? And um, she just has such flawless instincts for that, I guess. So um, that said, my favorite story in Prem Numbers is probably a novella. Um, it's called She's So Lovely and it's set in the world of Take a Chance on Me. Um, it is a menage, uh, MMF, between, uh, between three very attractive people. Uh, Elliot, the owner of a small town roadhouse, his bartender boyfriend, Johnny, and Lovely Singh, who is the beautiful patron who has been pining after them both for years. Um, I, I don't know. There was, there was something very magical about the way Suleika Snyder built this small world inside of the bar, which is called the County Line. Um, it's where, you know, all the folks who don't quite feel like they fit in in their small town are welcome there. Um, and it's not... It reminded me of From Scratch by Katrina Jackson, which, as you know, I loved um, in a lot of ways, although it leaves off at the very beginning of these these three's lives together. And I would really love to read more about them. So that was that was a highlight. Um, let's see. Oh, Things Hoped For by Chensia C. Higgins. Uh, that is one that I've been hearing about for months. It's finally out. Very excited to read it. Um, I've heard a lot of praise for its cover which is a really cute cover. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those all too rare covers that features a butch black woman um, in an incredibly dapper outfit. And, uh, and it's just delightful. The book, the book itself is just as delightful. Um, it's a novella about a rapper. Um, her name is Zenobia. And I don't know if she goes by, I don't know if she pronounces it Zeno or Zeno. Um, but uh, she is just uh, starting to hit the big time after spending 
years as sort of a local star in her hometown, Houston. And um, the other heroine is Latricia, who is a massage therapist. She's just moved to Houston, following the advice of a palm reader uh, who told her a few years back that she would need need to make a really big change in her life to find the love that she wants. So, you know, sparks fly as soon as they meet, of course, uh, you know, Zeno is all in, but will Trisha be able to trust a love that seems too good to be true? Paul oh, was very, very romantic and emotional. Um, I have actually now read two rapper romances. Um, the other one is Rapper's Delight by Kenya Guri Bell. I like that one a lot too, but it was much angstier. So this was a nice, um, you know, a nice compliment to that a little bit. There's, there's some emotional turmoil, but, um, but overall quite a bit less, less angst. Um, oh yeah. And I might, I don't know, I might have somebody else on my new list of favorite contemporary romance authors. And that is Lucy Eden. Um, I feel the same way about her as I did when I discovered Katrina Jackson a few, a few months ago. So I'm pretty, pretty into Lucy Eden right now. Um, so I started with Blind Date with a Book Boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there you go. Just listen to the title and you know why I loved it. Um, it takes place at the Ripped Bodice, which she does not mention by name, but she, you know, it's it's very clear immediately for anybody who reads romance or has ever been to the store. Um, it's clear on the first page what she's talking about. Um, and then she she talks about it in the afterward too, which is really fun. It contains references to so many of our favorite books and authors, uh, Alyssa Cole and Rebecca Weatherspoon. And, you know, it has, it has a hero who reads romance. It, you know, like all of these things would be enough to recommend it right there. But it is so funny and so cute. And it deals with tropes in this very arch way. You know, the book is literally about two people who meet in a romance bookstore and bond over their love of romance novels. And then they just like have this magical all day long date in Culver City. You know, then they start to fall in love and boom, they get tropes. Like tropes just start popping up. You know, they're talking about tropes because they're talking about romance novels. But then, you know, the tropes start to start to fly. You know, there's the moment of darkness where they don't think they're going to be together and everything. It's, it's so cool. <laughs> that sounds really delightful. I, I really want to read that. Actually, yeah. I'd really like the last two things hoped for and blind date with a book boyfriend. I really, you've sold me. I want to read those. <laughs> you're, you're really going, yeah, you're really going to love those both, especially I, I, you know, Blind Date with a Book Boyfriend is, is just really going to be your jam, I think. Anyway, I, I did buy the ebook, but I'm also going to buy the paperback because I liked it that much. So you may borrow it. Thank you. <laughs> so I like that one so much that I immediately bought and read another book by Lucy, excuse me, Lucy Eden, um, which is called An Angel for Daddy. Um, I really like single parent romances featuring precocious six-year-olds. <laughs> no, I am not a single parent, but I do have a six-year-old. Uh, I loved this book, but please be warned that if you are like me, the kind of person who spends a fair amount of time thinking, you know, very dark and morbid thoughts about what would happen to your partner and child if you should happen to die young, you may find this book extremely emotional. Um, I cried buckets during the epilogue. Like my mother-in-law walked by and asked me a question about the air conditioning while I was reading it. And I saw like my, my eyes were just full of tears and (laughs) I saw this, you know, I I looked up and I saw the fear in her eyes. Like, Oh no, did I just make her cry with a question about the thermostats? (laughs) No, no, I'm just reading (laughs) romance. (laughs) Oh, 
anyway, it was uh, it was a very emotional book, but um, but also very funny and deeply romantic, and I loved it. Um, Lucy Eden also has a bear shifter romance. Bear with me, <laughs> and it has a really cute and funny cover. And I may have just purchased to to read today, even though it's a bear shifter and the heroine is an influencer. And neither of those things is something that makes me one click anything. Um, but, you know, as I said before, if I want to try out a trope or a subgenre that I have a lot of reservations about, I'm going to seek out an author that I really, really like because I want them, I want them to change my mind. That totally makes sense. And <laughs> I'm, I'm curious what you think about the uh, bear shifter and the influencer, uh, because you're right. Those are not two characters that I would say. I'm in. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's really safe to to sort of use the author as that sort of gateway. Yes, like be my guide into this yeah. this weird realm that I that I kind of have no interest in visiting, but if you if you're going there, I I trust you. I will follow you, Lucy mm -hmm. and Rebecca Witherspoon and Celica Snyder and anybody else who cares. <laughs> Anyway, so what are you reading? Um, In Between Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. I read Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall, which frankly, it should be required reading. Oh my goodness. Uh, the chapter titled The Fetishization... Talk about words we can't pronounce. Oh my gosh, this is harder than... <laughs> um, the Fetishization of Fears... I should I, I I can't even say that relaxed. I'm giving you a high five. That was good. <laughs> um, that particular chapter um, sealed my belief that all women, really all beings, need to read this book. The chapter itself asks the question: What does it mean to be a strong person, and what does it mean to be in the feminist movement? The book challenges what it means to be feminist, and why is there such a racial disparity of understanding the basic tenets of the movement? I mean, it's so, so, so thoughtful, so brilliantly written. Um, I really loved it. I feel like it should be required reading. Um, I, I also read Grumpy Jake by Melissa Blue. <laughs> it is a romance novella about a dude who becomes a, the father figure to his young nephew and is navigating all that comes with that while fighting the growing attraction between him and his kid's kindergarten teacher. Uh, I really enjoyed that. It was perfect for a super hot evening that wasn't cooling off. <laughs> uh, and it was also pretty sexy too. Uh, what else? Oh, finally, talk about following authors into new tropes. <laughs> what the Spice and Secrets by Salika Snyder, my secret baby trope challenge. So I can report back on that soon. Secret baby. <laughs> I'm so excited for you to read it. Oh, Shannon has not yet picked my poison in the form of a sibling's best friend or a best friend's sibling book. Um, but I've quite accidentally picked up several books recently where this was at least touched on. So again, those weird, those weird sort of collections of of books that that the universe somehow brings to me. Um, we will save that discussion for our um, for our an upcoming episode, which I'm which I'm titling, "Do We Still Hate These Tropes?" <laughs> oh, and speaking of, I definitely have a new least favorite trope, and that is faded mates. But we're almost out of time. I will not subject you to the rant that I laid on my husband yesterday. That's for another cast. 
anyway, uh, yeah, very excited for you to read your um, to read your trip book. All right. Well, you've just reminded me I need to do my research and I need to get back to you with a title. And we will definitely make a date to revisit these least favorite tropes. And I love that. Do we still hate these tropes title? Uh, we'll talk about whether or not we've changed our minds. Or maybe we'll just rant and rave and have a good time. <laughs> and we hope you listeners are having a good time listening to us rant and rave. <laughs> and please, if there's a trope you want us to discuss, or if you want to share your thoughts on alphas or cinnamon rolls, or secret babies, or bear shifters, or whatever, please contact us. Talk to us. You can find us at LOPL.org and send us an email. You can respond to a bookish affair-related post on the library's social media. Or you can find me on Instagram at Shandy B. Reads. It's Shandy like the refreshing drink, be like the bug, reads. And now you can find me on Instagram too at the literally bookworm. Uh, the opinions espoused there do not necessarily reflect those of the library, of the Lake Oswego Library, or of this podcast. And please stay happy, healthy, and powerful in your whole and perfect selves. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, friends. And if you must be an alpha, just don't be an alpha hole. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next time. from the top bunk at the cabin everyone we couldn't do this podcast without the help of a few awesome folks thank you to allison arnold and anya woodhouse for being our rocks and our champions rick Lyons for giving us this crazy idea in the first place and making us believe we could do it carissa barrett for being a national treasure chris myers for good trouble noel elson amy grimes and Todd Macklem for answering all of our emails and making us look good on social media. Everyone at LPL has provided so much encouragement and support. Evie gave us a lot to think and talk about in this week's episode, even though she didn't want to make an appearance. We'll keep working on her. Claire D does our credits and corrections. Thanks, Jet credits and corrections. Thanks to Justin and Joe, our very own roommates here. Thank you for never buying us ball gowns that require the foregoing of undergarments. And thank you most of all to our book club members and podcast listeners who keep us inspired and and always searching for the next happily ever after. (laughs) See you next time. Bye. Till then, have a good time. Bye.